let's let's unpack. Maybe let's just start by unpacking like jujitsu. So, um, I mean, I was pretty interested in, in talking to you prior to that, but I'm so much more interested now. Like that's that's really cool. So, yeah, how did you? Is jujitsu the um, what am I trying to say? Is jujitsu the first martial art you've done? Have you done other ones? Uh, so I started with Muay Thai, actually, which, uh, you know, to be honest, looking back, I wouldn't have even called what I started with Muay Thai. It was very much like box fit. Um, I started purely, I come from fitness modeling, actually, and um, one of the things that stood out for me from fitness modeling was that I looked really fit, but my cardio was, like, non-existent. So I got into um, this version of Muay Thai, if you want to call it that, because I, I hated running and I wanted to improve my cardio. Um, so, yeah, jumped into that and then started to get pretty serious with it. And, and I guess then it evolved from just hitting the pads, you know, getting my heart rate up to actually trying to get the technique down and whatever else and fell in love with it. Um, and I actually started prepping for a fight. Um, but at the same time, my work was getting pretty busy. So the two sort of felt like they were, you know, opposing forces. So... Um, you know, I ended up making the decision to pull from the fight and focus on my work instead. But in between that time, I, my friend was nagging me to come along and try jiu-jitsu. He said, if you love much, if you love Muay Thai and you love MMA, you'll, you'll love jiu-jitsu. Um, so yeah, went along to jiu-jitsu and, and tried a bit of wrestling and yeah, so they're my three kind of, my three loves. That's really cool. Which jiu-jitsu club did you go to? Uh, so I started at South Coast BJJ in um, oh, yeah, Tom. south of the city. Yeah, yeah, Tom. Oh, yeah. oh nice, yeah. Uh, I literally, uh, me, him, and some other mates, we were doing a podcast like not long ago. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a cool dude. Yeah, very intelligent guy. Yeah, very, very articulate, very thoughtful. Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of respect for Tom. So jiu-jitsu there, how long did you do it there for? Oh, did you did you do did you do the Muay Thai there? Did you do like the kickboxing there as well, or somewhere else? No, no, I started with a guy named Tom Bowles. Okay. Who you probably know as well. <laughs> uh, I've heard the name. I, I haven't met him, but I've heard the name go around yet. So you did kickboxing, uh, like box fit, like cardio kickboxing. Then you go to do B, BJJ. Uh, how long did you do BJJ mm-hmm. for? Uh, so I think I was at South Coast. It, it was hard for me because my business was sort of – so I lived northern Adelaide at the time and I was training down at uh, South uh, South Coast, which, of course, is south. So it was like an hour, 15 minutes each way. Um, so, yeah, for me, as my business was kind of uh, boosting, it got harder and harder to train. So I think I was at South Coast for maybe four months. And then I just got really inconsistent. So I think I stuck around at that club for about a year. Yeah. Um, but so inconsistent. And then, yeah, my, my travel schedule got pretty full on. So I was sort of uh, hopping around to whatever club I could get to just to keep up my training. Um, yeah. And just to network. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, what made yeah. you, uh, I guess, decide to go there like with such a far drive? Um, for me, uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of, uh, well, uh, women, but I think everyone can kind of resonate with this on some level. Um, I had a lot of anxiety around going to jujitsu. Like I'd seen videos of what jujitsu was and obviously watched the UFC and whatever else. And yeah, it just felt really confronting to me, you know, uh, especially, you know, being, being a female, like going to a, uh, I think I think martial arts gyms have a certain reputation or a certain certain stereotype and generalization, and so I didn't know whether I was going to walk into a place that was friendly or whether you know there was kind of going to be a bit hostile. So um, yeah, a really good friend of mine who was a uh, is a purple belt at South Coast um, had been nagging me to come check it out. So that kind of felt safe to go with him and to walk into a place where you know um, he he could introduce me to people. So. Yeah, for me, it felt like even though there was the travel distance, it felt like a safe place for me to start. Yeah, of course. Um, I think I can I can relate to that. Uh, I think a lot of people can. And uh, I think one of the first things I want to try and unpack is, uh, yeah, I guess w- what does it – I've always wondered, what is it like for uh, a female to do jiu-jitsu? 
Um, cause it is like a, you are an environment where it is like just very plainly put lots of sweaty men. Um, and as a, like, I know as a guy, like it's like a, it can, especially at the start, like it's a super, uh, confronting kind of environment. I know, I think everyone kind of experiences that, but, uh, yeah, I always think like, especially with, with females, just cause often like there aren't that many other females in the classes. Like even in a in a jiu-jitsu club where there are lots of females, like it's probably never going to be this like an equal amount of ratio. Uh, so you're having to roll like quite often a lot with other men, uh, maybe not so much at the side, but yeah, eventually. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've always wondered what that experience is like. Yeah. I love that you've asked this question because I've, I've really been sitting with this. I grew up the only girl amongst all boys. So my brother, my brother's friends, my, like all of my cousins were, you know, guys. So for me, I'm actually far more comfortable around men than I am with, with women. And so even the gym that I'm training at now um, up here in the Gold Coast, they have like a heavy population of women. Like they have women's only classes and like, it's huge. There's, there's so many women that train there and I've never been to a women's only class because that for me is far more scary and intimidating than training with the guys. So, you know, today I went and trained today and yesterday, both days, I was the only girl on the mats um, and it feels 10 times more comfortable for me. And I think it's just based on conditioning. Like I grew up wrestling with my brother and his friends and my cousins and getting beat up and bullied by them. So I feel safer with men than I do uh, wrestling with women, rolling with women. Um I know that for other women, it's it's very much tipped the other way. Um, but yeah, I, I think it kind of depends on um, what you're used to. And you know, I mean, to add on top of that, like I've obviously spent a lot of time in the MMA and the Muay Thai scene. So again, male male dominated, even the bodybuilding world in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and I, I worked I worked as a sports trainer at um, a couple of different football clubs as well years ago. So my whole life is I'm used to being the only girl in a room full of guys. So you know, it's it's super comfy for me. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so uh, I guess what would be some good advice that would be helpful? Because um, you know, I see jujitsu as something that I think can definitely benefit everyone. Uh, and I quite often, you know, kind of think to myself, it's probably like all of these things, right? Like I always think that there's, uh, some activities that can really benefit, um, you know, the general population, but then I always think there's like, it, it can specifically be helpful for like specific populations. And I always think to myself, I'm like, like, this would probably be extra awesome for women to like, um, just to let, you know, just to feel empowered through it. Um, you know, all the benefits that, that come from it. Uh, so what, would you say um, to, uh, you know, like women to encourage them to do jiu-jitsu? Um, I would say don't be afraid to ask a lot of questions before you choose a club. You know, I've trained at a lot of different clubs, uh, you know, across different states of Australia, um, across different countries, and, you know, there are di different gyms suit different kind of pe kinds of people. So... For me, I, you know, I, I really, I thrive in an environment which is based on fun and based on connection. And yes, we're training hard and yes, we're training, we're serious about our training, but there's a big emphasis on it being fun and it being about, you know, like teamwork and um, and mateship and whatever else. Whereas for other people, you know, they, they want that environment where they go in and it's like, you know, it's like hardcore old school martial arts mentality and so I think my best advice would be you know figure out what you need and it may be a matter of trial and error um figure out what you need from a gym go, don't be afraid to go out and try a couple of different gyms or you know as many as you need to and and then ask questions like ask the coaches like what's the culture what are the values here and find the one that's the best fit for you because you know I've made the mistake in the past of training at gyms that had very different values to me and training very quickly becomes you know it becomes a hard slog and it becomes it, it impacts your mental health if you're not if you're training in, in an environment that's not a good fit um so you know we wanted to be a place where we feel safe and where you know um we, we love training. So, yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions. 
Yeah, no, I think that's really uh, valuable advice. Uh, so from there, you obviously you mentioned that you were just training it. So have you kept up training it the whole time since you first started it? Did you have a lot of breaks? No, I've been so inconsistent. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I'll, I'll be transparent. I had a few. I mean, I think everyone knows that to some degree, any sport really, there is politics involved and all of that sort of thing. So part of my experience, sadly with martial arts was that, you know, some of the politics kind of, I guess, dampened my experience of it and it actually became quite a, uh, I experienced quite a lot of social anxiety as a result of, um, you know, being in gyms that weren't quite the right fit, being in cultures, you know, not to make their culture or their their, their way of operating as a gym wrong, um, but just um, they weren't the right fit for me. It wasn't an alignment. So, yeah, I spent a lot of I, I took a lot of time to figure out whether the sport was for me and whether it was about the sport or whether it was about where I was personally at or whether it was more so about the choices that I had made as to where I was training. And so when I moved to the Gold Coast at the end of 2020, sorry, at the end of 2019, um, I wanted to make sure that when I found a gym, it was the perfect fit. And um, yeah, so a bit of that social anxiety stopped me from really looking for a gym for a long time. And then, yeah, I had kind of a series of events play out at the end of last year, um, which which made me realise it was time to go back. And I was lucky enough that I walked into Southside um, here in the Gold Coast and just instantly fell in love with the culture and the vibe. And uh, I've never felt so at home in a gym. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that's awesome, and I think that's one of the that's one of the really cool things about uh, some of these communities that they can offer. That uh, even though, yeah, like sometimes maybe there can be some places that aren't the best fit for some people. If you do find a place that can offer you uh, that that right level of community and support, like I think that is so empowering as a whole, like to people, right? Like to know you have like uh, this little group of people that like kind of have you back. Totally. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing, like, I just want to reaffirm, it's not to make any, any gym or any uh, club culture or any, anything of that nature wrong, but you know, it's one of them things as with anything, different strokes for different folks, you know? Um, so yeah, again, to come back to, it's so important to figure out uh, what you need as an individual and what environments you thrive in and to make sure that, you know, your choice in martial arts, gym, or anything for that, for that matter, aligns with who you are. Yeah, of course. Now, you mentioned that you competed, um, you were competing prior to jiu-jitsu uh, in, uh, mm-hmm. was it um, physique, bikini, or like bodybuilding, what, which, which category? Fitness modeling. Fitness yeah. modeling. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, how long did you compete in that? Uh, my first comp was 2013. My Second comp was 2014, and then I made a bit of a comeback comp prep in 2018. But again, five weeks out, we're seeing a pattern here. My work picked up, and um, yeah, I was just like, you know what? If I have to make, and it was a bit of a matter of I have to make a decision: do I want to travel with this work commitment, or do I want to do this show and work work one? So yeah, I pulled out of that comp uh, five weeks out. Yeah, that's totally fair enough. Uh, what made you or how did you first pursue this like this other sport? Yeah, so I was working as a personal trainer at the time um, and I was working predominantly with like weight loss clients. So, you know, like um, uh, what I found was, I mean, I've always been quite athletic. I've always been, you know, quite naturally slim. Um, even at my heaviest, you know, I'm still pretty, pretty, you know, uh, lean, I suppose. Um, and so what I was finding was particularly my female clients kept saying to me, you know, this is really easy for you because you're naturally athletic, you know, like you've never been overweight. Um, you've never had to lose an excessive amount of, you know, weight. You've never had to go through the process of dieting and whatever else. And, um, that kind of irked me, you know, it irked me. That, I mean, they were right. Like I, I couldn't possibly understand what it's like to have to go through, you know, this rigorous process of completely switching your lifestyle. And so, um, yeah, though, I mean, there were two parts to it. The first part was that I wanted to be able to understand what it's like to go through a rigorous diet and training process. Um, but also 
uh, you know, I wanted that growth. Like I wanted to go through that journey of like having this end goal and, you know, uh, having to go through the challenge and the, the struggle and the ups and downs of something like that. So, yeah, got into that um, and had my experience. I think I lost 15 kilos all in all um, from, you know, when I started my prep through to stage. Um, and, yeah, so then it was kind of a bit of a um, – it gave me that level of credibility of being able to say to my clients, well, actually, you know, I've been through a journey of losing 15 kilos and, and 16 weeks of, like, hardcore, hardcore dieting and hardcore training. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, that's really cool. I um, – especially if you lost, like, 15 kilos from maybe a place of, like, you know, it was probably um, – I guess maybe to the average person, maybe looking like there wasn't that much to lose. Like that's probably like a very hard 15 kilos to lose as well. I'm going to assume. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I think a good, maybe five kilos of that was water weight, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I was shocked. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that I had 15 kilos of weight to lose. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what was that? What did that process of, um, I guess, learning to uh, manipulate your body like that teach you? Um, for me, the first time I did it, it was – I didn't do it in the most healthiest way um, due to ignorance and probably not doing adequate homework to figure out, you know, what my body needed and maybe not enough pre-comp prep time, um, which in itself was a gift. I mean, it was a blessing and a curse because I learned so much from that alone. Um but yeah, I mean, it was uh, it, it was cool to be able to see how much I think how much we underestimate the impact food has on us. Um, you know, I would I would notice following such a strict diet, noticing how much like the slightest tweak in what I would eat day to day would completely shift how I felt. It would shift how I looked. It would shift how vascular I was. How much water weight I'd hold. You know, all these how I would perform in the gym. You know, and they, these are things that, I mean, most people never, ever track their performance. They never track their, you know, diet and their, you know, the way they look or anything of that nature to that same degree. So having that experience, like, really opened my eyes to just how incredible the human body is. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be open and honest that it was, uh, it was quite detrimental to my mental health for a period of time after comp, you know, returning to eating like a normal person, training less uh, rigorously, you know, not having that goal to strive for anymore and also just going back to looking like a normal person. Um, so, yeah, I went through a period of time after of having, you know, the, the post-comp blues, everyone refers to them as. Um, but, I, again, you know, it was a gift. It was a gift in the, in, the, in the long run. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because it set me up for what I do now. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So you you worked as a trainer, uh, you did this, uh, you you competed, then you you found martial arts. Uh, did you keep working as a trainer during that time, or did you change professions? Uh, so when I uh, finished my second comp prep at the end of twenty fourteen, I was I mean I was even during that prep I was starting to notice how much the mindset stuff had such an impact on my second prep you know the first prep was very much like follow the diet to a t don't miss a training session doesn't matter how you feel just push through get the thing done don't be a pussy basically <laughs> the second you know and i burnt out came out of it with adrenal fatigue like you know big kind of uh bounce back and the second prep i was determined to make it much more sustainable and much more balanced so i was you know i was meditating i was doing yoga i was going to see a hypnotherapist um, I was doing like a lot of mindset work, um, really kind of went the extra mile. And so through that process, I started to introduce my personal training clients into more of the mindset stuff. And I realized that like, that was what I loved. That was, that was what had my heart. So, um, end of 2014, I started to transition from, uh, personal training and nutrition work into, I guess you could call it life coaching. Um, and then, yeah, around the same time um, that I found Muay Thai, I also um, was in contact with, um, she's now quite a well-known UFC fighter, 
um, about whether or not my life coaching would actually have any impact on her performance as a professional MMA athlete. And um, so, yeah, we, we gave it a try and um, her results were absolutely insane. Um, so, yeah, kind of got into more of like performance coaching and it's sort of evolved from there to what I do now, which is trauma coaching for high-performing women. Wow. Uh, you know, th- this transition that you've, uh, I guess, spoken about is uh, is like a really common one. Like I think a lot of the times we... Uh, pursue things really physically uh only to be only i guess only to encounter that um our minds actually one of the biggest barriers that or obstacles that we have to overcome like the the physical stuff it's probably like some of the more simpler stuff like really um but yeah some of those um, mental hurdles that we face uh, can be quite challenging uh there's a lot to unpack there i'm going to rewind a little bit uh so i'm interested in the hypnotherapy how did that, what takeaways did you get from that? Why, why did you, I guess, um, wanted to want to try that out? Uh, what was that experience like for you? Um, so what led me to hypnotherapy was, uh, I had coming out of my first comp, I was really struggling with my nutrition. Like it was the, I think because I had deprived myself, you know, for so long of carbs and, you know, anything other than broccoli, rice and chicken. Um, I was I was sort of in that, you know, that real feast. Or, uh, I, I was in the, the yo-yo from famine to feast. So, you know, I was really in a place of like like any food, I was eating it, <laughs> you know. Like I, it was anything that wasn't on the diet plan, like give it to me. And, you know, obviously that was having some pretty severe impact on, on um, just my overwork, over all health and like how I felt mentally and my body confidence, you know, and, and all of it. So I kind of got to a point where I was like, I'll try anything. And someone put me in contact um, with this hypnotherapist and I was like, mm, I don't really know if I believe in that shit. Like sounds a bit woo-woo, um, but gave it a try. And, you know, this, this thing that I'd been battling with from, I think it was September when my comp was and when I finally had the hypnotherapy session, it was February. So you do the math, however many months that is. Um, and this thing that I had been battling so hard for that, you know, for months and months and months, like was transformed in 40 minutes, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't a conscious, it wasn't something that I could explain, but it was like, there was a very clear line of the the me before this hypnotherapy session and then the me after this hypnotherapy session. And suddenly it was like I was back to me, like food no longer controlled me. Um, so, yeah, I, I that was my first experience with it. And then I went and studied hypnotherapy and got certified as a hypnotherapist myself. Um, and then, yeah, it was like, well, I, you know, I started seeing the results I was getting with my own clients and was like, fuck, like, like the the potential is limitless with this so it was a no-brainer to include that in my prep so I was doing a lot of you know just cleaning up like little sabotage patterns throughout the prep so you know times when I would want to go cheat on my meal you know an unplanned cheat meal um, or times when I would you know skip out on training so just kind of shifting those little like micro uh, behavioral patterns Um, you know and then also just like focusing on um, you know, hypnotizing myself to get in those extra couple of reps or to get up that little bit earlier so that my day flowed a little bit smoother. And yeah, just those 1% uh, shifts that make all the difference. Yeah, of course. Wow. There's, there's a lot there. I keep wanting, I'm going to keep wanting to dig through this. What is it that, uh, we are able to change, uh, I guess, in our mindset through hypnotherapy? that maybe is hard to do uh, without it? Or, or I guess maybe, I maybe, or maybe, maybe even let's go, uh, maybe it doesn't have to be that deep. Like what are some of these mental blocks that we have that we need different tools to try and uh, overcome? Yeah. I mean, it could be literally anything, um, any sort of, I, I don't like the term self-sabotage, prefer the term self-protection. I'm a big believer that whenever we're self-sabotaging, it's actually that we're, we're protecting ourselves from something. So, you know, it, it could be literally anything. It could be, you know, 
um, pushing to that extra, you know, those extra couple of reps in training. It could be bringing in that, you know, hitting that next uh, bracket of wealth. It could be uh, opening up to a partner or letting, you know, letting people in. It could be like literally, literally anything uh, hypnotherapy can support with. So it's it's that difference between what our conscious mind um, wants for us versus what's occurring on a subconscious level. And if the two are at odds, if they're conflicting, uh, we're always going to default to what's playing out in the subconscious mind because that's the powerhouse. Yeah, look, I really like the way you've just described it as um, self-protection instead of self-sabotage. I think one of the ways that it um, maybe was uh, explained to me really well was just that the brain just doesn't like change, like the brain doesn't like change, uh, like any change, any change at all, and it it will always default you back to a pattern that it is most familiar with, and any deviation from that pattern like is really uh, confronting to it. So uh, you know, and, it, and sometimes you don't realize that you have uh, behaviors that are set based on patterns like that may and some you know sometimes they're super helpful ones but sometimes they're like quite unhelpful ones and and you mentioned a few different things there like and there are these weird things that uh, you know if you're seeking self-development or, or development in certain areas that you do come across like I've definitely seen that with uh you know when you when you do any sort of like change to your body or your or your life like it, it changes you like and it affects you like it affects more than like the thing you're trying to do like it's going to affect your maybe your partner or your friends and your your circle and um quite often like other people's input will come into that and, and that becomes super challenging to, to deal with right or um even like with wealth right like when people try and uh, earn more than what they've always earned like again same thing like uh, some people have huge huge issues or uh, you know, specific beliefs around money and um, or even beliefs about like being like a certain type of fitness level of fitness or or whatever those things are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we all have a subconscious inner thermostat of how much we're we're able to hold in any situation, whether that be financially, whether that be in terms of love and affection, whether that be in terms of you know um, how much attention we're okay with, how much. Um, you know, how many followers we'll allow ourselves to have on social media, how much business we'll call in, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's what I love about, you know, working with the subconscious is that you can sort of uh, expand upon that threshold or, um, you know, uh, shift that thermostat to be able to hold more rather than, as you said, like you're going back to uh, a baseline. Yeah, of course. Now, um, moving into what you're doing now, um, uh, where you're helping women with trauma, uh, mm -hmm. how did that shift exactly come about? So I'd had the pleasure, you know, when I was working as a performance coach, I'd, I'd worked with a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, quite well, well known, um, athletes within, you know, MMA, Jiu Jitsu, Muay Thai, um, fitness modeling, you know, bodybuilding, all of that, a lot of ex your, your extreme sports, they were kind of my jam because that was the, those are the kind of sports where you, like it was really the 1% shifts that made the difference and there was really no room for error because, you know, any error, um, some some sports, you know, have the potential to die, you know, like I'd work with some of like your, your trick riders and that sort of thing, you know, motocross, all of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, these are the sports where like, performance really mattered um and uh what i started to notice was that you know we could focus on like um body mechanics we could focus on nutrition we could focus on training we could focus on the mindset stuff um but a lot of the time the stuff that really made a difference in how someone per performed was like going back to the stuff that most people don't talk about you know, the, the, the traumas, the things that happened to them as children, whether that's, you know, stuff like sexual abuse or physical abuse or emotional abuse or, you know, that abandonment wound or, you know, being adopted or that time they were bullied as a kid or whatever, all of those things, if they were lingering in the background, um, on some level that was actually detracting from someone's potential, right? Like because so much of our energy 
subconsciously goes to um, keeping us safe, keeping us safe from those experiences, uh, those experiences playing out again. So what I noticed working with all these extreme sports athletes was that that was the common denominator. You know, I think um, a lot of what we don't consider is that someone who ha- I think you have to be a certain kind of person to enjoy a sport where someone's trying to punch you in the face or someone's trying to choke you out or someone's trying to, um, you know, take your arm or, you know, you have to be a certain kind of person want to throw yourself off like a 50-metre high ramp on a motorcycle or, you know, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I noticed that the common theme for so many of these people was that they came from some degree of trauma and it was like they were consistently chasing this adrenaline rush Um either to heal that or to recreate that experience because that's what felt safe to them. That was their threshold. That was their thermostat. So as I started working with more and more of these extreme sports athletes, I started to go, okay, well, it's actually not about performance. Like these people know how to train. They know how to recover. They know how to eat well. Whether or not they do it is another thing. Um, but it's it's the stuff that's playing out in the background that they're not willing to look at or that, that they haven't yet been willing to look at. So, um, yeah, I, I then sort of transitioned into trauma um, and, um, yeah, you know, the beauty of that is that now I get to work with athletes, I get to work with businesswomen, I get to work with mothers, I get to work with – and I still work with men. I just don't advertise it as openly. But um, And really seeing when we go back and we heal the stuff that we don't want to look at, it's like taking the handbrake off and suddenly we just get this incredible momentum towards this thing that we've been, you know, spinning our wheels trying to create for, you know, a year, two years, five years, ten years, however long. Yeah, of course. You know, it's I find all the things you've mentioned really, really interesting. And uh, I'll share like a little story uh to just make me realize personally uh maybe just some old trauma that i think i just maybe realized that i had and just how it like immediately just rears its head so uh long story short i maybe in the past month i've decided to be a lot more active on my social media uh you know like i've just decided like what my goal is and um, having a lot of that sort of like athlete mindset, like it's like, okay, like it's this and I'm going to go 100% at it. And yeah, you know, like some of the things that I, I wanted from that, you know, start happening, like more people start noticing what you're doing and with the good also comes the bad. And, uh, you know, like, um, yeah, like uh, I started getting a lot more engagement and then I also started noticing, yeah, like some negative uh, feedback. And uh, this happened to me many years ago. So, like, me and my uh, business partner years ago, we had, like, a like an Instagram, uh, that a page that got quite big. And, I, and we had, like, a podcast that was doing really well. And I remember that it was doing really great. And eventually we started getting, like, you know, uh, I'm going to put them, quote-unquote, haters, uh, like, on, like, certain Instagram posts and things like that. And I remember having this feeling, and it wasn't just a feeling because I acted on it, of just wanting to run away from that. And uh, yeah, I remember shutting down the Instagram page, uh, stopped doing the podcast, and I went from feeling like I wanted a lot of notoriety or recognition to wanting like none of that. And I just current recently experienced this again, like that feeling came by again where it was like, oh, like, I should stop doing this, like, and then, okay, having a bit more age on, on my side now, I, I saw that happen, like, almost, like, in slow motion, and I realized, well, if I keep doing the same thing that I keep doing, like, I'm going to keep getting the same result, so I told myself to do the opposite, I'm like, I'm going to lean into it, like, I'm like, good, like, I, it's almost like I told myself, I'm like, I want, I want more people to be hating, like, that means they're paying attention, right? Uh, and it was like, like it was this incredible shift in just thinking like where, and then I realized, uh, through somebody that I was talking to, um, where they just made me realize that like, did you have moments like as a kid where you maybe uh, were paid out or, uh, and you know, that you just wanted to run away from. And yeah, like I, 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 like this entire thing opened up in my brain, right? Like where I was like, yeah, a hundred percent. That's kind of why. I've always enjoyed 
uh, fighting, uh, you know, to some degree. Like I, I grew up, uh, like I'm a pretty chilled sort of guy, but I was in quite a lot of fights growing up. And a lot of that was just I didn't have the the, the word wizardry to like think of clever comebacks. So all I really had was uh, maybe like a punch to someone else's face to, de- to defend myself. And, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously as you got older, like fighting gets looked down upon more and more. Um, and I remember it just, yeah, like just hating that feeling of just maybe getting paid out and, and not knowing what, what a comeback to give to someone. Um, and that, that trauma is definitely something that I think uh, has has followed me uh, throughout life, uh, which it was just like this really big clarity moment, like not, not long ago that I had. And then uh, I think tying into everything you've said, it's like I think so many of us uh, have these little things that just occur to us and they just linger on. And sometimes we, but sometimes it can be really hard to even realize that this thing that happened, um, you know, let's say maybe something like abandonment is affecting maybe your current relationship. And maybe from the outside, it looks like they have nothing to do with each other, but deep down they have everything to do with each other. Totally. Thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. And and I love that. I celebrate that you've got that level of awareness and um, how awesome that you've landed yourself in, you know, a, um, a career or a hobby or whatever you want to refer to it as where like you get to keep pushing the edge on that and you get to keep, you know, kind of rewiring uh, the level of safety within yourself to be seen and to hold whatever hate comes your way and whatever, you know, um, yeah, whatever might come your way to be able to still keep showing up. I think that's boss. So Yeah, yeah. and and I've always thought it's like this, it's it's something that I've always really struggled with. So I think uh, I've only really come to terms with the fact that I, like I'm very introverted, but I keep seeking things that, make me have to be quite extroverted and I keep finding myself in situations where I have to, you know, where I'm, I'm leading classes or, uh, or coaching or seminars or whatever, like, and I have to be like the center of attention and I always find it really comfortable if I decide I'm playing like a role, but I always find it really uncomfortable when like maybe I'm actually seen in those moments. Uh, because if I am, then I'm very vulnerable, uh, you know, and then it, you know, it comes into this whole, like, I have these little moments of like being in front of a class, which I, which I've done now for 12 years, literally standing in front of lots of people where sometimes still like I'll catch myself in those moments of like, Oh God, I, I want to run away. I want to, <laughs> I want to hide. I want to call the, the adult who's in charge. <laughs> yeah. You know what? And, and that's the thing, like, welcome to being a human being. Um, I, I mean, I've been doing this work for, in some capacity since 2011, and you know, I, I mean, there's there's levels. There's always new levels. There's there's new layers to the onion, uh, and so you know, I, I think that the fact that you're still having those moments where you know you're you're noticing the fear and you're you're wanting to run away and you're still showing up like that's a huge marker of growth so i always say celebrate all of it even the stuff that you don't want to experience because um it's all it's all building towards what you do want yeah of course now um you are a women's trauma coach and i have lots of questions about um that maybe could uh, help out women in, in that sort of realm so um what are what are some of maybe the I don't want to say common but I'm I'm going to use that word or that language for this what are maybe some of the common traumas that you see that women experience um that end up affecting their life that uh, maybe they struggle to recognize uh within themselves you know I think a lot of people um maybe struggle to have the vulnerability to accept some of their traumas. And, um, you know, obviously, like, uh, we're living in a world in a world where, uh, you know, there's lots of good um, positive uh, growth as far as, like, people seeking help for their mental health. But quite often, people still don't. And uh, what, are, what are some things that you see that are common traumas that women experience uh, that maybe could help uh, if they're listening to this to recognize it, to maybe... Uh, seek out some help so then it can improve their, their life in other ways. Yeah, for sure. I, I refer to, um, I, th- I think I think people tend to sort of categorise like what's worthy of being defined as trauma 
and, and what's not, you know, like people think of like, like your, I call them big T traumas, like the obvious ones, things like sexual abuse or physical abuse. Um, you know, they're, they're the ones that we common, commonly think of as trauma. And I think that there's almost this like strange narrative in, in the collective society of like, well, if it's not one of those things, you don't really have the right to complain. Um, and I, I think that's so backwards and I think that that only kind of pushes us further into our trauma and pushes us further into shame cycles. Um, but, you know, I refer to big T trauma, which, again, those those ones that we com commonly think of, and then little T trauma. And so little T trauma can be literally anything from, like, you, you tripped up a gutter and someone laughed at you, right? And ever since then you sort of have this thing about, you know, someone looking at you or it could be, um, that, you know, that the neighbours said that you smell or, um, uh, you know, you started a word uh, once. Like it could be literally anything, but trauma is anything that has uh, an impact on the way you view yourself. So it literally it could be anything. Um, it's so, yeah, I, I, I want to really push home like, Trauma doesn't have to be these big, like, earth-shattering, you know, moments of, like, witnessing some horrific violence or experiencing some horrific violence or anything of that nature. It could be something really small, which to other people isn't a big deal. But if for you the effect on your system um, really had you kind of disconnect from yourself, that is absolutely a trauma. Um, you know, anything that's had kind of an imprint on, on how you relate to others, how you relate to yourself, how you relate to the world around you is trauma. I think that's, um, <clears throat> I think what you just said is, uh, is so wise and probably so helpful to so many, uh, to just be able to, to hear that and just realize that, yeah, like it doesn't have to be this, this huge thing. And, um, and maybe it can be this, this big thing that if, um, you know, people, um, I don't know, I guess sometimes they, they experience big things and they want to feel like maybe they've overcome them. I guess looking at it through that lens where, you know, if, if it is a thing that affects you and how you view yourself, um, then, yeah, it, it can be a trauma and it can be something that, um, you know, can be dealt with. Uh, what is the process of, of dealing with a trauma? There's different ways to go about it depending on where someone's at. Um, my work works across three different levels. So the first being nervous... Uh, working on a nervous system level, so identifying basically uh, where you're operating from predominantly in terms of how um, how regulated your nervous system is. So what I mean by that is are you in a uh, state of survival or are you in a state of safety? So when we look at animals out in the wild, um, they do one of two things, uh, sorry, one of three things when they're under threat. They either freeze play dead or faint they run or they fight and so that's what humans do we do it in maybe a, a slightly I mean it can be really obvious someone fainting someone going into like a depressive kind of uh, experience where they can't get out of bed that's a classic example of your freeze response um, it could be uh, anxiety that's generally either a fight or a flight response um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's, it's first of all identifying where do you predominantly operate from. Are you in that survival mode? Are you in a freeze response? Are you in a fight response? Are you in a flight response? Or are you operating from a place where you're very present, you feel safe in your body, you're able to socialise, um, you know, um, easily without feeling stressed, without going into kind of like a spiral? Um, so identifying that first and foremost. The other two levels that I work across is somatically. So this is looking at old traumas and how they're stored in the cells. So it could be something like um, uh, for you, like what you, the example you mentioned earlier about how, you know, you were, you were bullied and so now when you feel like there's too much attention on you, you sort of want to start to run. That story or that experience is stored somatically within your cells, right? Think of the body as a living library of every experience you've ever had. Uh, there's a quote that uh, my coach, Preston Smiles, uses, which is, um, the body remembers what the mind forgets. So even if we've blocked an experience or a trauma out of our mind, our body still holds that experience. And unless we allow ourselves to uh, express it to the point of completion, 
it will literally fester within our cells and create, you know, disharmony, um, imbalances, uh, injuries, diseases, you know, sickness, all sorts of things. And then, of course, the third level is the mental level. So that's looking at more of like the subconscious mind, looking at more of like how we perceive the world. So do we perceive um, that experience when, you know, Billy at school said that I smell, do I, do I have that belief Sorry, do I have that experience create the belief that I'm not good enough and because I smell, I should um, hide away for the rest of my life? Or do I let that experience be the thing that actually pushes me forward and, and inspires me to, to be all of the things and live the life that I want to live? Yeah, wow. Okay. I, I feel like there, there could be some really helpful advice here, um, but I'm going to try and break it down by... Again, maybe uh, just opening myself up and then maybe you can uh, maybe break down to tell me what I have or haven't done to try and deal with the trauma. So I hurt my back really badly doing um, a back squat a few, quite a few years ago. Um, and I, I mean, I don't think I've fully gotten over it, but it took me a long time to want to put myself underneath heavy weight again and uh, the feeling that I would get getting underneath the barbell uh, even after I was fully healed from the injury like I don't know like it's it's hard to explain like it get to a certain weight and I would feel that weight on my spine and then every cell in my body would be telling me like get the fuck out of this situation like really like you know like a really dirty, like yuck sort of feeling. Something that I, I don't think I've ever experienced with anything else. And, uh, you know, I think that really kind of uh, ended up really depressing me because I pursued strength as a big defining factor of, of who I was as a person for a long time. And then that really got taken away when I realized uh, I felt so yuck about being strong. Uh, so, uh, I guess one of the ways that I tried to deal with it was uh, by trying to uh, work on strength, just like through things that didn't look like a barber. Like I found that to be, um, yeah, like just like a really easy way around it. So, you know, like literally other types of equipment or like just different types of things that were challenging and hard on the body, but just if they didn't have the shape of of a barbell, literally, I just didn't, like, I didn't have that feeling at all, which is quite, like, why I love jiu-jitsu and wrestling now. Like, uh, you know, lifting humans, to me, seems, like, a lot less scary sometimes than lifting a barbell. Yeah. So, I guess, yeah, totally. what, 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 what is happening there? Um, like, do... Yeah, okay, it, so... Sorry, you go, what was that? What no, was no, that? no, 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 I, I was just going to reiterate some points, but no, I guess, yeah, what, what's happening there? Yeah, okay. So um, the fact that you're like, get me the fuck out of here, that's a flight response. So um, you're you're going into uh, what's called a sympathetic response. Um, so your sympathetic response is a, uh, it's a mobilizing energy. So what, what I mean by mobilizing is that like your body's going into hyperdrive of like either like fight or get like I'm out of here. Um, so on a, on a nervous system level, it would be, providing you with tools where when that moment pops up and and first of all getting you to a place which it sounds like you're already there but getting you a place where you can feel the moment you start to go into that flight response um so you can identify it you can see when it's happening um and giving you tools where you can actually self-regulate out of that um so that it's it's rebuilding the trust within your body of like I've got me. Like I trust myself. I trust my ability. It's safe to be here in my body. I'm not under threat. I'm not about to die. Um, you know, and, and I know that sounds dramatic, but that's literally like on on our on a uh, instinctual level. That's the connection that's going on there. You're going shit. When I have this weight on my back, I'm my my survival is under threat. Um, so yeah, rebuilding that connection with your body where you can re- regulate through that flight response to come back to I'm safe, I trust myself, I'm here, it's okay to be here present in my body. Um, and also looking at like, well, 
what's that feeling trying to teach you, right? Whenever we have feelings, they're, they're there. Oof. Even deeper than that, what's the injury trying to teach you and what's the, uh, the feeling that's coming up in those moments where you go into the flight response? What's that trying to teach you? So really like tuning into if, if this was a messenger, what's the message, right? Uh, and then also, you know, so that that's looking at the nervous system level. Uh, on a somatic level, it's if that feeling, if that urge to run could express itself in, in a way that is in alignment with what you're wanting to create, how would it express itself? So is it a movement? Like is it a, you know, um, and obviously the listeners won't be able to see what I'm doing here, but is it like a like shaking your, you know, your arms and your shoulders and shaking your body to discharge that mobilizing energy? Or is it a noise? You know, is it a, a primal scream? Is it a like, is it yelling the word fuck at the top of your lungs? Is it um, just a <sighs> sigh, right? Any sort of emotional experience is just energy wanting to be moved. And what happens is most people fight the feeling. They sit there and they go, I don't want to feel this. This feels gross. I'm either going to disassociate from my body and numb myself with food or alcohol or drugs or training or sex or porn or whatever, video games, whatever, um, versus like the healthy way of processing emotions is literally just to let to let it throw, flow through you. So making a noise, moving your body, um, doing whatever you've got to do to have that just effortlessly kind of like leave. Um, and then finally on a mental level, looking at, okay, well, how is this how is this injury actually a blessing to me? What did I gain from this experience? In those moments where I've got a barbell on my back and I feel that feeling of wanting to run, how is that actually a blessing to me? How is this of service to the thing that I most want to create for myself, whether that be specific to training, whether that be specific to your overarching vision and purpose for your life, whether that be specific to, you know, how you relate to yourself and how you see yourself, um, but really coming to a point where you can see the blessing in, in the curse, right? Yeah, of course. So uh, I love what you said about feeling uh, about feeling the feeling, if that makes sense, to, to feel the feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, at work, I actually came across a, um, what was she? She was a, a grief counselor and a trauma expert. And I asked her for advice about, um, you know, just like how to maybe uh, try and get over like, you know, like a trauma I issue that I had. Uh, and she gave me really good advice, which was just to go and feel sad and to not avoid feeling sad and to actually seek out all the things that make me sad about that situation to, uh, to feel better. And as simple as that was, like I literally went to a beach and cried like a lot, uh, about a certain subject, uh, enough that like songs and things like that, that would make me feel sad about it no longer did. And it, it felt like this ri ridiculously simple solution to to something that had really been affecting me. And it just gave me this, like, mm. uh, you know, understanding that, yeah, like, we need to feel those feelings or they, they just stay there and they, um, you know, they make us sick or they, they affect us in all different kinds of ways. Totally. Yeah, I mean, that, there's, there's a saying... Um, a feeling fully felt takes maximum 10 minutes to process, right? So we hold on to stuff for like fucking years, right? Avoiding actually feeling it because it feels like this massive get can of worms that we can't possibly hold. But when we actually allow ourselves to just sit with the sensations of a feeling, 10 minutes, right? I had the experience just two weeks ago where I was I was feeling some sadness about a particular situation in my life and, you know, like uh, we're all still, still learning and I'm still human so even though I teach this stuff, there are still moments that get me but I had been avoiding feeling this sadness because it felt like if I went into it, it would throw me off for weeks, you know. It felt like it was it was just too big for me to actually go there and thankfully, you know, I have a team supporting me and I have my own coaches and my own, you know, professionals kind of supporting me. And my coach said to me, you know, what's, what's the feeling? Like, what are you afraid of feeling? And I was like, I don't want to feel sadness. 
And she was like, well, can you just sit and allow yourself to feel sadness? And I was like, mm, super resistant. Uh, but I did it. I sat back, sat back and I closed my eyes and I, you know, I, I, I went into the feeling of sadness and I cried for about 30 seconds. And then I just started cracking up laughing. And she was like, what's going on? And I'm like, it's just fucking hilarious because I've been avoiding this feeling for like a month because I felt like it was going to completely throw me off for another month. Um, and here I am 30 seconds into just like a quick cry and I'm like, oh, it's done. Like, that's it, <laughs> you know? So it's just, it became hilarious because I'm like, here's me like, oh, I can't handle it, it's too much. 30 seconds, 30 seconds of just letting myself fully feel it and it was done. Yeah, that's 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 crazy about the sort of stuff. Now, um, I'm going to ask something that I think is, is tricky, tricky to ask, so I'm just going to ask it. Um but something that I think maybe, yeah, can definitely help people uh, listening. So um, there's different types. So I guess there's small T's and then there, is, there are the big T's in life, right? Um, and uh, I don't know, like issues, you know, quite often to do with like, um, you know, uh, sexuality, sexual abuse, sexual assault, um, you know, can, can be really, uh, really hard to deal with uh, for people just through the nature of them. Um, what, what is the process for someone to, to, I guess, uh, try and deal with, with those, those big T type moments? Yeah, it's exactly the same as the little T. Uh, let yourself feel it. Let yourself, uh, grieve the experience that you didn't get to have. Grieve the experience of safety that you missed out on. Um, you know, experience your anger. Like if you, uh, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you've had something happen to you where you feel like you've had your power taken away, go and punch a pillow, you know, like go unleash on a pillow and beat the fuck out of that pillow and, you know, like let your anger out, let your sadness out, let whatever's there out um, because, again, if you don't let it move through you, if it just festers. It festers in your cells. It um, emits through your energetic field. Like people can feel when you're carrying something dense, you know, having worked in this, this work for so long, I can literally, like I can pick people on the street and go, she's experienced sexual abuse. She's experienced physical violence because there's an energetic signature to these things. Like it's literally permeating through our, through our energy. Right. Um, so if we don't allow ourselves to move this stuff, it just sits and it festers and it weighs us down and it blocks us from the blessings that we want to call into our life. So, um, Feel it all. Scream, cry, yell out the C-bomb at the top of your voice, like whatever you've got to do. Um, and for most people, you know, most people spend their life trying to outrun these things, turning to alcohol or, you know, any of the things that I mentioned before um, to avoid feeling. But when you actually let yourself feel it, that's when you start to heal from it. That's when you start to claim your power back. That's where you start to be able to find and this will sound quite um, backwards and maybe triggering to some listeners, but that's where you start to find the blessing and the purpose in some of the things that have happened to you. You know, I've worked with people who've experienced like the worst atrocity, atrocities, like things that you can't even comprehend. And when they allow themselves to go through that healing process, I haven't had a single client yet say to me, you know, that they, that they can't see the blessing in it. Um, most of my clients have come out with something to the tune of that was the best thing that ever happened to me. This thing that I once carried as being the absolute worst, most unthinkable thing to have happened to me is actually the greatest blessing because it set me up with the exact skills, traits, characteristics um, I need to live out my purpose. You know, our, our pain births our purpose. Our, our pain and our power are, are birthed from the same source. It's just which side of the coin do you choose to look at? That is super powerful. And uh, I think it's a good place to uh, to leave the podcast up. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me on. No, thank you. I feel like we barely, barely scratched the surface on all the things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, but I think that's just a good sign that uh, there's just a lot more to unpack there. And I definitely would love to have you back on the podcast in the future. Beautiful. I would love that. Uh, if people want to reach out to you and uh, find out more about you, how can they uh, connect with you? 
Yeah, so I have a free offering called Fierce and Free. Um, so that's available at www.fiercefreewoman.com. Otherwise, Instagram at my name, Brianna Bowley, B-R-I-A-N-A-B-O-W-L-E-Y. Uh, and I also want to just say I'm launching my program, my signature program, Heal and Reveal, uh, which is set to kick off on Monday, the 21st of Feb. So, um, yeah, follow along on Instagram. And if you're if you feel called to work with me, now's the time because, yeah, that'll be that'll be launching on the 21st. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on again. And, uh, yeah, obviously uh, go give her a follow. And if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, yeah, please share it around. All right. Thank you. Take care.